we have kind of a different feel today, and, and I'm excited about this opportunity. We've got some guests with us this morning, and I want to set some context before I introduce them to join me up here. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for a while, then, then you know that over the last uh, week or so, we introduced a new series that we're referring to as Promises for All People. And the idea is, is that as we've sought to discover how do we live out this devoted life of discipleship, we know that it's going to take us into our community and into our world, right? That we take the promises that we have in Jesus Christ, we take the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and we carry it uh, to everyone around us, that these promises are truly for all people. And so that's been something that we're going to continue to discover and to work through through the month of October and November, with October being an emphasis on our community. Now, we also, if you've been with us throughout this year, you're hopefully aware that we've been celebrating 90 years as a church, right? Amazing. 90 years as a church. And we have sought to celebrate that throughout the years, uh, throughout the year in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that we decided to do to commemorate this milestone was to raise $90,000 and to give it to the community uh, as a way to just demonstrate generosity and to, to follow suit in this devoted life. And so what we started to, to feel led to do was to identify three different organizations that we would ultimately disperse uh, that gift to as a way to bless the, the community. And as we started to feel led and drawn to certain organizations and institutions, we kind of saw this theme of, of child advocacy. And we're going to have an opportunity over the next three Sundays to spotlight each and every one of these organizations. And some of these organizations we'll see deal with a lot of risks that the youth are facing, uh, that there's a need uh, across all of them. But one of the things that we started to feel drawn to is, is to really impact a local school. Because we all know that, that education is so critical in childhood development. And so there is a, a particular school, the Lord has kind of led us to a, a, an area of Fort Worth that we've been working for, for a while, um, for a couple of years now. We've been working in some apartment complexes nearby. We've been working uh, in some church outreach stuff in this, in this area. And so what we started to think was this, is, would, this would be a great place for us to, to share this generosity and continue to invest in our community. And so what we've got uh, in store for you today is to do a quick Q&A with some of the, the representatives in the administration at Seminary Hills Park Elementary. And so uh, I want you to put your hands together as we invite these wonderful ladies to the stage. Lorena, Latrice, and Devana, come on up and join me up here. Yeah, go ahead and grab that for me as you head up if you can. Kevin really forces it in there, so you got to have to use your elbow grease to get in there. Just go ahead and grab those seats over there. We're so grateful that you all have had a chance to join us today. And what we're going to do here at the beginning is I'm going to give each of them an opportunity to introduce themselves. And so we only have one mic, so just take your time and tell us a little bit about who you are, your name, your role at the school, your family, just your favorite color, anything you want to share with us this morning. So Lorena, start us off. First off, good morning. I'm uh, very excited to be here and be able to meet some of the wonderful people that have already been helping our school. Uh, my name is Lorena Ferrales. I have been at Seminary Hills Park. Now I'm starting my seventh year. Love what I do. Love serving children. And um, I think most of or those of you that have been with our children understand the why. I love it so much. Um, what I can say to you is that uh, I'm there because of the children. I'm there because they are what excites me. They are the reason why I get up every morning and believe that everything we do has a purpose, and I think that uh, the Lord has sent me there. He has sent these other wonderful ladies with me, and uh, we are there to serve our children, serve our community, and, and I want to also just say thank you for those of you that have already been helping our school. Thank you for everything you do. Awesome. Thank you. 
Devana. Good morning, and thank you for having us here today. My name is Devana Burgess. I am the assistant principal at Seminary Hills Principal um, at Seminary Hills Park Elementary. I have been serving there for just a short three months, but I've been in education for 20 years because just like Ms. Morales, I love to serve our children and to uh, make a difference in their lives. Um, so I've served in many different roles from curriculum writing to be able to guide and help support teachers, to being a classroom teacher, to supporting um, through interventions. So it's just been a blessing to be able to make an impact and children's lives in so many different aspects. But I share the same sentiments as Ms. Varelis, that we've already received so much support um, from this community here, and we just want to thank you for that. Absolutely, Latrice. Good morning, I'm Latrice Tate, I'm the school counselor. This is my third year at Seminary Hills Park and my 20th year in Fourth ISD. Uh, again, thank you, we met a wonderful group of ladies on Friday. So thank you again for serving our community, Absolutely. our school. All right, so as we get started here, uh, the first question is just kind of an overview of Seminary Hills Park. How would you describe the school? How big is it? Tell us a little bit about the school. We are a, a small school of about 336 students. Uh, we serve a variety of different cultures. We have seven different languages are at our school. Wow. So it is a wonderful place to be. If you want to get to know the world, you come to our school and you see a little bit of everything. Uh, we have about 85 uh, faculty and staff at our school. Uh, what can I say about my school? It's, it's, uh, it is a, a school that where everybody has to understand the why. Their why is very important. And their why is important because we face a lot of challenges. So every day, we have to remind ourselves the reason why we do what we do. Uh, we, because we have students from all different parts of the world, uh, like I said, there's seven different languages. So English is not the dominant language at our school. Uh, so as, as we're teaching them and getting them to know what America is all about, uh, it, it, we, we also have to continue with the rigor and the instruction, and it, it, it sometimes becomes difficult, but it is in that that the beauty of learning uh, comes to flourishion. So. That's good. That's really fascinating. Seven different languages. That's really remarkable. Ivana, tell us a little bit about some of the exciting things happening. Uh, we know that there are always challenges with schools, but we also know that there's a lot of growth and successes that you can see along the way. So spotlight some of those things for us. Absolutely. Well, the first thing we wanted to spotlight is that we do get to serve the nations, that we have an opportunity each and every day to make a difference in the lives of our students, not just at an academic level, but socially, emotionally as well, to teach them how to interact um, in a new culture as they're coming, because a lot of them are refugees and they're coming from other countries and they don't even understand the structure of schools. So we get to have that opportunity to pour out into our students every day. And with that, we get to also help our parents. We have an ESL program mm -hmm. um, there that they get to come to uh, once a week and get to learn how to close some of those communication gaps that we have with our parents. We have a Read to Win program um, on our campus that targets our first graders who are reading below reading level. And we would like to thank uh, again, this community, because this year, those first graders who are now second graders are mostly on grade level, and several of them are very close to being on grade level. So that was a celebration um, for us to see. 
um, in, our, in our campus and the difference that it's already making having those resources on, um, at our campus. We also had the opportunity this week to recognize our teachers using the gift cards that the Tuesday night women's um, Bible study gave to us. So we were able to bless them. We highlighted them for perfect attendance. We highlighted them for their best practices in the classroom. And because we are requiring a lot this year, um, we also had an opportunity to see a lot of that fruit um, from the requirements that we're having our teachers. Um, implement this year and with our most recent assessment scores we we got to um, see our students outperform the district in mathematics and science and that That's had gone. never happened before awesome. so we were just really yeah, yes, that. praising the Lord for really um, just already seeing that fruit yeah, and a testimony to y'all's hard work perfect attendance that's a great idea I think we should invoke that here don't y'all think <laughs> I, I, I like this incentive here. Okay, the next uh, subject here would be some of the challenges. So, so that's obviously God's working through y'all and your, your efforts there. What are some of the challenges that you see amongst your students, your teachers, the community even as a whole? Well, like I said, having seven, seven different uh, languages that our families speak. Uh, I'm bilingual, but by no means do I know all seven languages. Mm. And so even being able to communicate with our parents, both uh, you know, our, our end and their end, sometimes becomes uh, a challenge. Mm. Uh, we are ESL teachers and we have a lot of, uh, of uh, tools in our belts, but even with that, uh, it, uh, it is a, a challenge. Also, uh, as Ms. Uh, Burgess, Ms. Uh, sorry, Devana Burgess uh, mentioned, uh, we have a lot of refugee students. So with that, just even meeting their basic needs. We have children that come to school, it's cold and no socks or their shoes are falling apart. Um, and so it is our job to make sure that we take care of our children. Um, some of them do not have enough food to eat. That, uh, that happens quite often. And so uh, our teachers, are have, they always have a little stash. They bring they, their little grocery uh, to the school to make sure that they are able to feed our students. Um, and so, so those are some of the challenges that sometimes uh, that, uh, that are, not, are overseen because we are a school that we're, our, our uh, job, our role is to instruct students, to educate students, but we cannot do that if we cannot meet their basic needs. And so that is something that, that we have to take into account. Uh, we have children that have uh, been traumatized because of you know, being in refugee camps. And uh, sometimes just what to you would be the norm is not, is not their norm. Um, we've had ch have children that uh, they see a trigger for them and, and they will just uh, lose all sense of, of, uh, of safety and, and will just you know, run away. Um, and, and so we have to make sure we understand the child as a whole. That, and, and we love what we do. We are very blessed to be able to do the things that we do. But it, but it uh, is very crucial that those that work with our children understand that we cannot just service the child through education. We need to give them more than that. That's good. Good summary. Patrice, I know we want to give you a chance to, to chime in on this. So Lorena's talked through some of the challenges, which obviously translates to some of the needs that we hear inferred here. But from your perspective, what are the needs for these children and, and how can we potentially respond and help? Uh, well, first, I want to thank the ladies. Uh, when we came out on Wednesday, we talked to them about some of the needs of socks. 
because our children come to school with no socks, sometimes shoes, holes in their shoes. So we have a supply of socks. So thank you for that, for the socks. Um, another challenge, uniforms. Sometimes uh, our teachers take the students' clothes home and wash them. So one of the needs of our campus is a washer and dryer mm. because the teachers are having to do that. Um, some of the teachers give the students snack packs over the weekend because they don't have enough food over the weekend. They're, so they purchase those things as, as, so they can meet the needs of their students. Um, some of the other things that we need is tutors. We need tutors to help for reading. That's one of our targeted areas. Um, we also have openings in our school for some faculty positions. Um, we also need um, technology to help to support the development of language of some of our students. Those are some things that we need. That's really, really good. I've got a question before you hand the mic okay. over. Especially speaking to the refugee situation and as a counselor, are, what is, is there anything in the school district that helps speak to children coming from trauma backgrounds? Is that just every teacher kind of has to be aware or are there special ways that y'all intervene with trauma? That is, uh, every teacher does have to be mm -hmm. aware of it. On last year, we had a kindergarten student who would, um, kindergarten classroom, they would rotate to centers. Every time it started for reading centers and the student would, that was a trigger for her. She would run, she would throw chairs, and you know, the first thing the teacher said is, she's calling the office saying she has a discipline issue, but it was more to it. She couldn't understand that everybody is moving around. That was too much stimulation for her. So we had to uh, educate the teacher on, that's not, a, that's not a discipline. You need to pre-warn her when it's time for sinners what we're going to do, give her that step-by-step -step what she needs to do. Every time she would call the office, one of us would go and she would run and just hug us. So it's like, that's not a discipline. She needs support. So a lot of role is for the leadership is educating the teachers. Yeah. Oh. And we have to understand yeah. where they're coming from. Yeah. And such a diverse background. Such a diverse. Do you see anything else in the community? This could be for anyone. It just, we, we have the refugee dynamic, but just the community at large. I mean, as we try to continue to do work there, help us understand that community a little bit more. Any challenges or needs that you see in the expanding community? Last year on several occasions, we have, uh, right outside our school is the community park. And we saw two-year-olds, three-year-olds playing in the park alone. Mm. Well, one of the things for refugee families is the village takes care of the children. Mm. So we, as a leadership team, had to go to those parents and say, not in the United States, especially Fort Worth, Texas, we have to be careful. We have to know where our little ones are at all times. So, and letting them know that, you know, if this happens again or if it continues to happen, that we have a responsibility of calling CPS and what all that involves. So we do a lot more than just educate the students. We have to teach their families on the new laws and the new ways of, yeah. of, of the United States. Yeah, that's good. Well, I want to uh, transition this a, a bit of a close and, and know how can we pray for you? I think, Devon, I think you might be taking this, but what are some 
prayer requests, obviously we can, we can hear some of it, um, but how would you articulate it to this church? How can we be praying for you and the schools in particular? We would first just ask for a hedge of protection around our, our families mm-hmm. uh, that come. We don't know exactly what is happening in those homes before they come to us. So if they could just have that hedge of protection, giving them just that peace that mm-hmm. surpasses all understanding um, when they come to us to know that we're there to help build them up and help support them with, with their needs. Uh, we also ask um, that our, for just fresh wind for our staff, um, that they do not grow weary in trying to do good because this work is a difficult work um, that we face each and every day. Every day is a different challenge. Do you sense that weariness pretty yes. regularly and consistently? Yes, and we've, we're sensing it more and more, mm-hmm. which takes me to my next prayer request mm-hmm. was that spirit of unity, mm-hmm. that we do not allow distractions or that tiredness to take us to a place where we get off course and that we lose focus of what we're there for, which are our students, mm-hmm. and to continue to build them up and to keep each other um, built up as well. Yeah. Um, and then just for us to be able to discern um, root causes, not to be distracted by surface um, actions or surface act, um, attitudes or surface mm-hmm. statements, but getting behind why are they responding this way? Why are they feeling this mm-hmm. way? So that we can really know how to pray and just target the underlying reasons and not react to the react in the flesh, but to really mm-hmm. just respond in the spirit. That's good. Which you can tell just in your stories, right? There is a level of wisdom and understanding that that's a good reminder for us, right? In the sense that you know you can initially see something on the surface level as a disciplinarian mm-hmm. issue or a neglect issue. When really it's it's trauma or it's culture, and to have that sensitivity to know how to speak to those families and to the community, that's a great reminder for us to always have that wisdom, right? To look beneath the surface and to figure out what it is that we need to really engage and treat. And so uh, I want to say on behalf of our church, uh, thank you for your hard work. Um, I know that it is not easy to do what you're doing, and and I know it does take a daily resolve and commitment. Um, and the fact that y'all are doing it and, and speaking into these children's lives is remarkable. And, and we are grateful for that. And so we want to pray over you. Um, and so what I would love for you to do, if you, can, if you need to use the handrails, let's just come back down here towards the front. And I, I gave them this warning ahead of time saying that we like to, to lay hands on people. And so that's what we're going to do. And so why don't you all make your way down the steps here in the, the front with me. Thank you, Tommy. If you can help escort our ladies down, that would be great. And if you are in this front section, or really, you don't have to be. You can be wherever you want. But if, uh, if you feel comfortable coming forward, we're just going to all stand right here. And I would love to invite some of the congregation to come forward and just surround these wonderful ladies. And we're going to take these requests that they've shared with us and offer them in prayer. If the three of you can just stand and face the congregation, I'm going to stand behind you here, and I'm going to lead us in some prayer. And by an extension of, of praying for these ladies, we're going to ultimately ask that God takes these prayers and extends them into the hearts of these children, uh, into this community, um, and into their families and all the people that they represent. And so this is scriptural for us to lay hands on people and to ask God's power to, to flow within the body of Christ and into his, his world. And so let's all go to the Lord in prayer. Let's bow together and let's ask him to bless us. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much for an opportunity for us to, to come and hear from these wonderful ladies. We thank you for Lorena and Devana and Latrice. Um, God, we know that you have positioned them for just a season as this. 
And God, we know that for all of us, there are times that we go through your calling. We, we take these steps that are often confusing and mysterious and unknown. Uh, but Father, we trust you. We trust your hand. We know that the Bible teaches us regularly that many are our plans, but you direct our steps. And you have directed them to this school. But more importantly, God, you've directed them into the lives of these children. Um, God, you've directed them into an environment where cultures are truly melding together um, with different languages, different stories, different worldviews, different traumas, God. And the sensitivity and the ability to navigate that, God, it goes beyond our own capability. It goes beyond their capabilities and the staff and even the families. And so we pray for your spirit to do the remarkable. God, we, we have been studying how in your scriptures you you can transcend culture. You can transcend language in a way that does bring a peace that transcends understanding. God, I pray for all the faculty and all the staff that as they are entrusted with the role of caring for these children, God, that you would equip them. You would equip them not just with skills and resources and tools, God, but with your mighty hand and your strength and your presence. God, I, I pray for these students. God, I pray that whatever it is that they face each and every day, um, God, the perhaps the pain of, of previous trauma, the, the, the uncertainty of what life is now, or, or just the regular challenges of, of growing up, God, that you would speak into their hearts. And more than anything, God, let them know that they are loved. God, I pray that the presence of these teachers would uh, communicate that love. I, I pray that whatever way that we can involve as a congregation, that that would communicate that love, but that deep within their heart, they would know that they are loved by you and they're loved by others. God, that that love would be transformative, that it would spill into these families. God, we know that behind every child is a story of a family, and we don't always know uh, what those stories are, and sometimes even working in a school or in a church, it's hard for us to understand those stories, and the only way we truly encounter them is if you unleash us to, to really invest into them, to, to meet them in their homes, to meet them at their parks, wherever it is that they are, and to listen and to love. And so equip us to do that, and we pray that that these families would once again feel the warmth of your embrace, that they would feel your mighty presence in a significant and tangible way. And God, that through these efforts, both as, as administrators or as educators or as believers, as a church, wherever it is that you would send us, God, that we would can devote ourselves to one another in a way that allows us to pour out your love into the lives and hearts of others. God, and that in some small way, they wouldn't see us, they would see you that they would see the hope that is in Christ Jesus. They would see the beauty of the cross and all the promise that it brings. And they would see and discover that those promises are for them. And I pray, God, that that would be something that would bring you amazing glory, both now and forevermore. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we boldly and confidently pray these things. Amen. 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 Why don't you all give these ladies a round of applause for sharing and being with us today. We'll let them make their way back to their seats. And I am grateful for the many uh, folks within our church. Just so you all know, our, our church has been doing stuff in that community for a while and in different ways and in different capacities. And I'm grateful for your faithful service there. And I, there's really no other way to say it except that we just feel God's led us there. And uh, we want to be faithful and we want to be consistent in the ways in which we engage. And so at the end of the service today, we're going to invite these ladies back up to stand up here so you can come forward and greet them and introduce yourself if you have the time to do so. But we thank you all so much. Uh, beautifully said. And I know there's a lot more you could elaborate on. And so hopefully as our time continues, we'll have the chance to do that. But thank you all so much for being here today. All right, church, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. I've got a quick word for you this morning. 
Um, and, and part of what I want to do as we walk through this this morning is kind of remind you a little bit of what we discovered last week, right? Last week, we introduced this subject of uh, really trying to take these promises for all people. And we did this overview of chapter 3. And, and in the summary of chapter 3, what you see at that first half of chapter 3 in the book of Acts is Peter and John performing this amazing miracle with this crippled man who's taken outside the, the, the temple gates every day by his friends. And, and we looked at that text, and we saw that the response that Peter and John offered was a very unexpected response, right? That, that there were at least three things we highlighted last week about the unexpected nature of that response. That number one, it was relational, it was holistic, and it was intimate, right? And, and that was something very different. They didn't just meet a need. They did it in a very intentional way. And in some small measure, that's what we're trying to do, not just this morning, but through the course of this month. Right, that the reason we have our guests here with us and we, we bring them in here is to make this relational. Right, that when we think about potentially giving a gift to the community, we don't wanna just send out a gift arbitrarily. We wanna understand and build a relationship through that process. And at the same time, it, it wasn't just economic, right? Peter and John didn't just offer money, right? They understood the greater needs that were placed with that beggar who was asking for something at that point in time. And, and so when we engage the community, we wanna go with a holistic mindset to understand that there's greater stories, there, there's more beneath the surface, as Devana so eloquently put. And so we wanna have that sensitivity. So we ask these questions to say, hey, help us understand what this community is actually facing. And then there's a level of intimacy, right? Peter reaches down and he, he actually grabs the hand of the beggar and helps lift him up. He helps, he helps uh, heal this crippled person in the midst of this promise that he's offering through Christ Jesus. And so in the way that we're able to come together with anyone and, and pray with them and lay hands on them, it's a gesture of the intimacy and the love that we have in Christ Jesus. And so there are, there are tremendous lessons that can be learned from Acts chapter 3 that apply for us anytime we engage anyone in our context. And so that's part of what we're doing here. But what you saw after chapter 3 is that Peter then continues Right? There's a stirring amongst the crowd. People begin to question, and they marvel at this healing. And so he says, hey, this is, this is all in Christ. And he gives us this incredible message that is a word of conviction. Right? He, he doesn't hold back on the convicting nature of what's taking place. He, he offers a word of faith in Jesus Christ. He points them all to the name of Jesus. And then he gives them an invitation towards repentance. And we defined it last week that that repentance uh, brings us into a sense of forgiveness, of refreshing, and of hope. Right? And in all that, he concludes with the promises uh, that we find in the stories of old that point us to Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a remarkable chapter. Now, what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to camp out in chapter 4. And we're going to pick out just a few verses in chapter 4 to help complement some of what we're discussing here through these uh, question and answer sessions with the folks in our community. And, and we're not going to go in order. We're going to kind of bounce around chapter 4. So because of that, let me give a quick overview of what takes place in chapter 4 so that you have some context of these scriptures and these verses. So after this healing, uh, the, the chief priests, the, uh, the officials of the armed guard and the temple guard, the Sanhedrin, they, they come together and, and they're paying attention because Peter is talking about the resurrection of the dead and he's talking about Jesus and this, this question of resurrection was a, was a dominant debated question at this point in time and, and this question of Jesus was obviously also a sensitive Area. And so the scriptures tell us they actually seized them and put them in prison. All right, so this is the first word of resistance that we have in the book of Acts that becomes a dominant theme for the rest of the chapters. All right, and it's a reminder to you and me that anytime we 
we embrace this call to go and take this gospel to the community, it's going to be met with resistance. There are going to be people, there are going to be places or organizations or institutions that are going to say, no, we don't want that here, right? There's going to be resistance. So it does take courage, right? It, it does take a certain level of, of boldness. And so you see that at play here. So they, they put him in jail, and then the next day they bring him out, and they say, now, in what name are you doing these things? And, and Peter, I love the scripture, it says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. I would have loved to have seen that, right? Uh, he gives him this answer. He says, you know, if we're being called here to give an account for an act of kindness shown to this man, then, then let's be clear. Uh, this is through the name of Jesus, the one whom you crucified. There's the word of conviction. But God raised from the dead that this man is healed. He is the stone that the builders have rejected who has now become the capstone. He quotes Psalm 118. He brings this courageous truth again, and it obviously strikes a nerve, right? It strikes a nerve with them, and so they... They have them dismissed for a moment and they confer with one another and they're thinking, what are we gonna do with these men, right? They, they want to obviously punish them or do something to them because of what they're implying. But instead, what they, what they do is they realize, listen, everyone in Jerusalem knows this miracle took place. So we, we can't just do this for fear of the people. But what we should do is instruct them never to do anything in the name of Jesus again. So they bring them in and that's the instruction, right? They try to demonstrate this authority and say, you can no longer speak in the name of of Christ, and I can't help but picture John and Peter slightly chuckling at that, right? Like, okay, you know, and, and they say, what is right for us to listen to you or to listen to God? For us, we cannot help but keep speaking of that which we have seen and we have heard. And so they're, they're released in this moment, and they go back to the believers, they report everything that's been said, they report of all these threats and these warnings, and what does the church do? She prays. I love that. Such a beautiful reminder of the constant posture of the devoted life. They pray. And in the next two weeks, we're going to look at uh, some elements of that prayer. But after they pray, we get this beautiful summary description again at the end of chapter 4. And we're going to read just a few verses from that this morning. So if you could follow along with me in chapter 4, verse 32. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, there's more to that summary you can read it, but that's the short section I want to briefly elaborate on this morning. And it sounds familiar, doesn't it? All right, we, we just spent an entire series going verse by verse at the end of chapter two, and it has a very similar feel to it, right? It's this discussion, again, that this devoted life leads you to a radical sense of community, right? And an amazing love for the other. And you see that again, all the believers were together and had something in common. And that radical sense of community, that radical love for the other resulted in radical generosity, Right? This is what William James Jennings had said, that anything that could bring someone into sight and sound, anything that could bring them into closer proximity of the incarnate life, those things were subject to being given up to God. Right? This idea that they were so compelled towards love towards one another that the possessions naturally followed. And so they were willing to let go of these things if it meant that it was just one chance that someone else had an opportunity to hear the promises that are existing in Christ Jesus. Right, so we've talked about this. I don't, I don't feel the need to, to go back into that in great detail today. The, the question that I have for us today is why? This is the question I don't want us to lose sight of as we walk through this discussion. Why? 
Why was there such community? Why was there such radical generosity? And you get this beautiful explanation here in verse 34. Actually, it's really the last half of verse 33. It's explaining why were there no needy persons among them? Because God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. That's what we're talking about. Very quickly, our concluding thought, God's powerful grace. What we're seeking to do here with this gesture of of hopeful generosity towards our community, the opportunities for us to figure out how to invest in one another and in discipleship and all the things we've been talking about, this is not by our merit, this is not by our strength, this is not by some well-strategized program, it is simply by God's grace. And we cannot lose sight of that. So what is grace? Let's give this some more thoughtful uh, consideration this morning. It's a, it's a common concept to understand the promises of God, right? In the Greek, it is charis, right? Or, or charisma is another way that it can be translated when spoken of in terms of particular gifts. And that's kind of the definition, right? It's kindness, it's, it's favor, it is a gift. Now, when you study the scriptures and you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, this is more than just God's character, right? It, it's more than just his disposition, Yes, God is gracious, God is kind, but it is the action of that kindness, it is the the free giving of his nature that shows us all these amazing gifts that he gives to us that help reveal his grace. And so I want us to think about some of those gifts that God has freely given. And and I wanna begin this, this level of contemplation by thinking about what is often referred to as common grace. You familiar with the term common grace? So, so common grace is this idea that regardless of what you think or believe about God or about Christ, regardless of where you are in your life, there are certain gifts that God has given all of humanity to enjoy and to experience, right? It, it's kind of built from this idea in Matthew chapter 5, I think verse 45, that says, God allows the sun to rise on both the good and the evil. He sends his reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right, so you, you get the concept there, right? Regardless of what's going on in your life, whether you are good or wicked, righteous or unrighteous, you get to experience the gift of the warmth of the sun and the beauty of the rains. This is common grace. So I want us to reflect on that a little bit more intentionally for a moment and think about some of the ways that we experience God's gifts of common grace in our lives. Even just today, even so far today, think about some of the gifts that you've experienced. You woke up. That was a gift. And before too long, you looked outside and you saw the sun that brought warmth and light to your day. It's a gift. And as you uh, stepped outside, you felt, felt the coolness of the air giving you a reprieve from the terrible Texas heat. A gift. You got in your car and you, you drove here. And as you drove here, you passed trees, you passed shrubs, bushes, plants, all of which that are taking these elements in the atmosphere and creating air that you can breathe. I want us to do that for a moment. Breathe in. Breathe out. Let's do it one more time. Breathe in. Breathe out. It's a gift. And for the last 60 seconds, 
while I've been talking, you've benefited from that gift anywhere between 12 to 20 times. Here's what's going on when that gift is given to you. Your brain subconsciously tells your nose or your mouth to inhale. And this air that's been given to you travels through your mouth, down your windpipe, and into these air passageways that end in these, these sacs, these air sacs called alveoli. And there's 300 million of them in your body. 300 million gifts. These alveoli take the air and and allow it to pass into your blood. And now this oxygenated blood leaves your lungs and into your heart. And when your heart pumps, it sends all of it to the rest of your tissues and your organs that need that oxygen. And as they break that oxygen down, it then creates this carbon dioxide that then releases it back into the blood, which returns to your heart, which then is pumped back to your lungs and is brought out as you exhale. All of that happening without you even thinking about it. It's a gift. A gift that is emblematic of all the intricacies of who you are and how you were created. This reminder that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and with every breath it is a gift. That God designed you and invited you to experience this world he created. This is common grace. Rather, it's powerful grace that is consistently at work in you. And so that is one way for us to understand the gifts of God. But what we see in the scriptures is that this grace isn't reserved just for common benefits of creation, right? That what it really draws us to is a greater understanding of God's saving grace. And Paul summarizes us for this, uh, summarizes this for us very easily. You can turn to Romans 6. Don't, you don't have to right now, but you could turn to Romans 6 and see a beautiful description of this saving grace. It begins with the statement, the wages of sin is death. And it's a reminder that for each of us, we go through this life in a separation that is problematic, right? We each have this level of brokenness that we feel and experience. It means our lives, if we were to really be honest and open and confess transparently to one another, we'd have to admit a long list of mistakes and failures, every single one of us. Mistakes and failures that fill our past and will fill our future. Mistakes and failures that often lead towards these impulses, towards lust, towards greed, towards arrogance, towards pride, right? These impulses towards judgment that allow us to deceive ourselves into thinking we can elevate ourselves over someone else and cast judgment on them, right? This this impulse that we get to determine what, what they should do, it leads to gossip, it leads to ridicule, it leads to hostility, and it breaks down the neighborliness that we were created for. And we, we can see how all these mistakes and failures can result in anxiety, and depression, and loneliness, and solitude, and reminds us of this separation, right? A separation that at its core is all about us internally having this impulse to say, I get to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I get to decide which impulses I can act on and which ones I shouldn't. I get to decide what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. And so we turn our back on our creator, every impulse that we give in to that sort of voice. And what the Bible tells us is that separation is sin and the consequence for a separation from our creator is death. And so the the challenging reminder for each and every one of us, church, 
is that the moment that you think that this doesn't apply to you, the moment that you think that this brokenness doesn't exist in you or in this world is the moment that you have to realize that what the Bible clearly says is that it is in store for everyone because every single one of us face the inevitable reality of death. It is the final verdict that we are caught in sin and we need saving. And so this scripture reminds us to that brokenness, reminds us of that need. The wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God, the charisma, the free gift, the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift. There is a hope that despite all of your brokenness, all of your failures, all of your shortcoming, this inevitable demise of death, that there is a day that that breath will wither and fade, God's free gift to you is a life everlasting, a promise of a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, but an opportunity to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died the death that we deserve so that we can dwell with him forever. That is the saving grace that he has offered to each and every one of us. And it sits there for us to receive. He waits for us to embrace it. And when we do, it arises in a song that we can sing each and every day of our lives. A song that compels us to go to the crippled and the blind and to see them healed. It's a song that compels us into this divine love for one another. A song that that has us freely give because we know we have so richly and freely received. A song that compels us to seek and meet the needs of others because we know that ultimately all of our needs are met in Christ and Christ alone. It is a song that compels us to sing throughout this life and into the everlasting. It is the song of God's powerful grace. That's what we're doing, church. And so let me remind you this morning, God's powerful grace is at work. We do not step into this gesture of of giving. We do not step into these gestures of prayer or into all the things that we've talked about for our own accolades or for our own attention. The only reason we get a chance to experience it and pursue it is because of God's grace. That deep down it has changed our hearts and opened our eyes and our minds and our souls to see that we need to pour into the lives of others and bring these promises of God's powerful grace to our community and our world. And so let us leave here filled with joy, knowing that that grace is powerfully at work in you and in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are no words for your grace. It is truly amazing, it is truly remarkable, And God, there are so many times that we miss it and we take it for granted. So many times that we we lose sight of what it is that you have done for us. And so I pray, God, that as we leave here today, that the grace that you've extended to us through Christ Jesus would be evident in, in our lives, God, that it would erupt in a spirit of joy, that you would tune our hearts to sing your grace. God, that we would be able to truly go forward in such a manner and when we engage, whether it's a school or it's a neighbor, a friend, a colleague, a family member, we do so, Father, championing your grace. 
demonstrating your love and to see it so powerfully at work in your church. We thank you, Father, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.